And if you have your Bibles, if you'll come with me to John chapter 8, we're going to continue our verse-by-verse study uh, uh, this morning uh, in chapter 8. We'll pick up where we left off. Last week, we looked at uh, 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 three verses, uh, uh, verse 48, 49, and 50. We'll just do a recap on that, and and then we'll, we'll go right into our text. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for, uh, for growth. Uh, thank you for Caroline and the others that have uh, already left for, for, for college. And Lord, we, we lift them up to you and pray, Lord, that you'd bless them and, and encourage them uh, to grow. And, and that's our prayer for all of our hearts, Lord, that, uh, Lord, that we would keep our focus on Christ and focus on on what's to come, the end, if we could keep that uh, as Jesus did for the joy set before him. He endured the shame. And Lord, we, we want that joy and we want that focus in our own lives. And so help us uh, to continue to grow in our faith. And Lord, I pray for myself this morning that, um, Lord, that there would be a uh, a winsomeness, a gracefulness uh, about the teaching this morning that would encourage uh, that growth, Lord, I pray. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So come with me. We're in John chapter 8. We're working through the Gospel of John. Uh, and we come to verse 48. It says this, And the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you, and they're speaking about Jesus, so <clears throat> the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And so the religious leaders of the day, their, their trust and their confidence uh, was in their own righteousness. And they claimed uh, descent, rightly so, from Abraham, except... <laughs> They didn't walk in the ways of Abraham. In other words, that they, Abraham uh, trusted the Lord, and it was counted to him as what? As righteousness. And so they were trusting in their own good works. And Jesus is confronting them and has been uh, aggressively confronting them, and, and they simply uh, have, have had enough. And instead of... Um, pursuing the charges that Jesus made against them. In other words, trusting in your own good works or your own righteousness rather than having faith in God and his righteousness. Um, they, instead of pursuing that with Jesus, they take an emotional track and they take uh, a track that is attacking Christ and they use a racial slur, if you would, calling him a Samaritan. And, uh, and they attack him personally by saying, you're crazy, you have a demon. And what we looked at last week is that, is that Christ responded in a very secure way based upon three things that we can see in Christ's life that Christ was able to answer them in a, in a kind, graceful way because he was secure in his identity in who he was. And we look at the text is that he is the son of God 
And as we look at verse 58, he says that I am. And so Christ is secure in his, his identity. Secondly, he's secure in who he belongs to. He says that he belongs to who? Who does Christ belong to? Belongs to his father. He's come to glorify his father, to obey his father, to do the work that the father had given him to do. And we see his purpose, uh, Christ's purpose, which was to come and be an atonement for our sins and to rescue and bring us back and to give us an opportunity to have eternal life with him, with the Father, in heaven, with the Holy Spirit. And when we look at our own life and look at how we can navigate uh, the conflicts that, that we find ourselves in and the difficulties that life will, will throw at us, if we're secure in our identity, and our identity is according to John chapter 1, verse 12, is, is who are we? We are children of God. And Jesus is, is our identity. If we know who we belong to, that we belong to each other, we're baptized into the body of Christ and that we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. And our purpose that we looked at quite a bit last week is that our purpose really is a very simple purpose, is that we want to live our life, we want to live our life in such a way that we love and glorify God and that we love the people that God has put around us. And when we're secure in who God's made us and who we belong to, and we're, and we're secure in, our, in our, uh, the objective of our life, then we can be in the midst of a storm or in the midst of conflict or in the midst of difficulties, and we can rest secure in who we are in Jesus Christ can rest secure that he will give us the courage and the peace and the hope and the love to navigate this life. And so the great challenge for us is to not, you know, the great challenge for the religious leaders of the day and the great challenge for us as church people is not to trust in our good works but to trust in Jesus for our righteousness, not to trust in what the world may call us to be, but to walk in the reality of who we are in Christ. And when we develop depth in those areas of our life, then we walk securely and we find joy in the midst of whatever life would bring to us. We can find his peace and his joy in the midst of it. We come to the next verse in verse 51, which is one of the, these uh, emphatic, uh, uh, declarative uh, sentences that, that Jesus makes. And he, and he calls attention to what he's going to share with these religious leaders. He says, truly, truly, Jesus says this in verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And so the great mission that, that Jesus, and we're going to talk about this a lot next week, the, the topic of heaven, but the great mission that Jesus was on is fl and flowing out of that proto-evangel in 
uh, Genesis uh, chapter 3, verse 15, that first promise of Satan being crushed, that first promise of a savior, that first promise that the curse would be reversed, Jesus came to reverse the curse of death and bring us eternal life. And so our destiny is not found in this life. Our destiny is found in living and finding joy in heaven with Jesus. And we'll unpackage that next week. But, but our destiny and our purpose is not going to be satisfied until we are face-to-face with Jesus Christ in heaven. Now, Ben played this really sweet uh, hymn. And uh, Jack, if you just put up the first slide here. Could you, are you okay, okay, okay with some participation? I can see there's some visitors here. Just take a deep breath. It'll be all right. You won't, I won't make you, you know, raise your hand and walk the aisle and sign a card or anything like that, unless you really want to. No. Can, you, can, you, can you repeat this with me? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full, wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light. Oh, you guys are great. There's this, thanks, Jack. There's this amazing principle in life that if we can get a vision or, or a picture of where we want to end up, like some of our young people are, are, are going away to college, and, and their vision and their picture is, is that is walking the aisle, but anyway, um, the vision in the picture is to complete their education so that they can enter something that that they find passion for, enjoy in. And so, when they're slogging through, you know, statistics—that's one of one of the one of my painful moments in life. So, when you're slogging through some of the courses, you you look beyond the difficulty that you face and the challenge that you face to what? To the day you get to walk the island and, and get your degree and, and you finally get freedom in your life and, and your parents are going to be so grateful when you get that first job, Caroline. They're going to love you even more. Anyway, they, we endure the difficulties because we know that the goal is set before us. And in all of life, it's like that. Come back to the text with me. Jesus says in verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will what? Never see death again. And so this life is, is just we're on this journey. But the end goal is to be with Jesus and to live with him forever and to abide in heaven for all eternity with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Who does Jesus make this, I could put it perhaps this way, who does Jesus make this grace 
unfulfilled appeal to those that want to kill him, those that are dead in their sins, those that are trusting in their own righteousness. And that's how the Lord relate, relates to you and I, is that we may be dead in our sins, but grace is still, grace is still pursuing you. We may have gotten off the path of following after Christ, but grace still comes after you, still knocks on the door of your heart. There's this great verse that, that brings a lot of comfort to my heart. It's in 1 John 5.13. And John, John, that one verse is just so helpful in life. It's, John says this, these things... It's like kind of like three little parts of the verse. These things are written, the word of God. These things are written to those who believe in Jesus, the son of God. And the third part of the verse is these things are written to those who believe in Jesus that you might, do you know the verse? That you might know that you have eternal life. And it's such a wonderful verse because it brings that confidence that this life is not all there is. And Jesus offers eternal life to those who believe in his word and respond to his word. That one verse, uh, say it with me, okay? I, 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 I know I'm asking you to participate, but it's okay. You'll get over it, okay? Say it. These things are written to those who believe in Jesus, that you might know that you have eternal life. Jesus is offering eternal life to these guys. We live in a section of the country where um, most of my neighbors know who Jesus is. Maybe most of your neighbors know too. There's one thing that's missing, though, and we're going to see that it's missing also in, this, in these religious leaders as we go down the text a little bit more, is that they, they, they might know, they, they might have an intellectual understanding, but they don't know in their heart. And one of the great tools we can share with our neighbors is that, oh, you 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 know about Jesus, and, and they'll say this. It kind of goes like this. Do you know Jesus? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I grew up with him, you know. I've been there. I've been to Mass. I've been this. So, but, but do you know you can go to heaven? Well, I, how does it go? I, I hope so, if I am good enough. But the Bible doesn't teach that at all, does it? It says if you believe and you trust the Bible is written so that you might know you have eternal life. The Apostle Paul kind of gets at it this way. He says, Apostle Paul says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And knowing that we have eternal life, 
And knowing that heaven is our destiny brings us courage to live this life. Now, to bring some balance, we know also that John in the book of Revelation describes the fate of those who die without Christ. He calls it the second death, the lake of fire, where those who are separated from God by their sin will dwell for eternity. And so there's a choice to be made, this side of heaven. Will we receive that offer of eternal life? Will we respond in faith? Or will we pursue that second death by our decision? And once again, who is Jesus talking to here? He's talking to the religious leaders of his day. And he's, through his prevenient grace, he's inviting them, would you respond? And the same is true today in all of our hearts, is that the grace of the Lord is knocking at the door of your heart. Would you come and step into your identity and your belonging and purpose and find eternal life? The text goes on. Come back to the text with me. It says this, the Jews said to him, now we know, <laughs> they're just so confrontational, aren't they? It says, now we know that you have a demon. And, and why they're just going to make up, no, they're going to construct an argument, not make it up, they're going to construct an argument that assumes that uh, Jesus, that assumes that uh, Jesus doesn't really know what he's talking about because Abraham died and all the prophets died, and so therefore you must have a demon. Their logic has descended to such an emotional level that they're really no longer making sense. Take a look at the text with me. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? <laughs> well, hang on, guys. He's going to tell you. Verse 54. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. Speaking of their Abraham's faith, verse 55. And verse 55 is important for us and important for these religious leaders. Verse 55. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word, Jesus says. There's two little Greek words here. First one is Edo, and it has to do with kind of mental assent, like, like I believe it in my mind. And the religious leaders, they were like that. Okay, I've got a mental, cognitive understanding of who God is. But the second time Jesus used the word for no, it's gnosko. And, it's, and it connotates having that knowledge, yes, but having experience that knowledge. And that's the breakdown with the religious leaders. And it's the breakdown in all of our hearts, especially if we're, quote, church people. Especially if we were raised in a, in a confessing church that confesses Jesus as Lord. Is that we may have grown up with it. We may give assent like I did all my younger years. Sure, I know who Jesus is. 
Sure, I know who he is. But Jesus goes a step further. It's that, like, it's not enough just to give mental assent. You have to experience him in your heart. And that happens by trusting him and having faith in him. The language I use is like, you step into it. And when you step into it, and when you, when you exercise faith and trust in God's word and praying to him, here's an amazing thing that happens. He transforms your life from the inside out. And what you give assent to, you actually begin to experience those things in your heart and life. And the disconnect with the religious leaders of Jesus' day is that he gave mental assent to who God is, but they never really trusted him with their whole heart. And isn't that our problem? I mean, that's my problem. I know a lot about God. I'm a professional God person. But if I don't experience his redemption, his transformation in my heart, then it doesn't work. I become a grumpy person. But when I experience his love, his joy, when I appropriate his peace, when, when I make a choice in the name of Jesus, I'm making a choice in the midst of this crazy world. I'm making a choice to step into who I am in Christ. He is my identity, and I choose joy. There's a spiritual transaction that happens there that transforms our heart and informs our face and our attitude towards people. That's what Jesus is offering these guys. That's what he's offering us. Each and every day, would we make a choice to bring what we know in our mind and allow it to transform our heart. Back to the text. Verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it. And was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, another one of these emphatic statements. I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. We developed this language of deity. Jesus makes an emphatic statement towards deity. How did Abraham see Jesus? Well, if you read the scholars, there's all kinds of viable answers to that question. Some of them think that when Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac, he, the substitute ram, um, he got a picture of God's redemptive work. But, but I love to let context drive answering my questions. And if Jesus is promising them eternal life if Jesus is the pre-existent logos where could have Abraham seen the Lord I, I would say in heaven and the promise that Jesus is trying to break the hard crustiness of their heart the promise is this that if you believe 
and that you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. John 14, verse 1, Jesus says this, some of you know it. Let not your hearts be troubled. And what did Jesus promise? That, that he's gone ahead of us to prepare a place for us. If it wasn't so, he wouldn't have told us. And so the great truth that comes out of this text is that we have a Savior who has come and defeated death. He's gone before us. Matter of fact, he's waiting for us. Matter of fact, all those that have died in Christ, get this, this is glorious. All those who died in Christ are not lost. They're waiting. And at the end times, he'll give us glorified bodies so that we will dwell with him forever in eternity. That's the offer. That is the offer. The offer is this. Eternal life, secure in Christ because of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I know all of you will assent to that. But will you allow it to transform your heart? I know all of you will assent that the peace of Christ passes understanding. Yeah, that's good. Very good. But would you allow that peace to be the umpire of your heart? And that is the challenge I face each and every day, is will I step into my identity in Christ? Will I step into the, the security of who I belong to? And will I walk in the purposes that God has for me, which is to love God and love people? Can you say amen? amen. Let's prepare our hearts to uh, receive uh, the Lord's table together, and then we'll close in prayer.